All right, welcome into another edition of the 3 and D podcast here on the Grizzly Bear Blue Podcast Network. It's part of the podcast network along with the starting five core four long view with Parker Fleming and GBB live with Joe Molinax. Joining me today, he's Stephen Adams, favorite media member. You may follow him on Twitter at StatsSAC. He's the host of Locked On Grizz. He's been on the show a few times so far this year, and uh, his name's Sean Coleman. Sean, thanks for joining me today. What's going on, Ben? It's it's a pleasure to talk with you. Always a pleasure to come on. You know, obviously, um, we've uh, we've been a part of the, of the great group over at Grizzly Bear Blues for quite a while now. So to be honest with you, anytime I get to you know cut it up with you or Joe or Parker, I'm gonna do it anytime that I can. But I appreciate as always you uh, you thinking of me and having me on. Hope you've been well. Oh, I've been I've been well. I know that uh, we're recording on Monday night, and I know both you and I wish that we had other plans tonight, and that would be watching a Tennessee basketball game but unfortunately that's not the case they got bounced early so it hey, is what it is got, at least we got tennessee baseball highlights right that, yeah that, that, yeah, that yeah. And you got other other my former co-host he is uh all over twitter upset about the bats and he is still uh i mean don't get swept you know don't get Wah. Swept. <laughs> exactly exactly justin shout out to justin if you're listening um so let's get right into it. I mean, the Grizzlies are rolling nine and one their last 10. They are the hottest team in the NBA and the best time to do it. They've won seven in a row um, heading into the playoffs, four games left. The win over Phoenix, I was really shocked. I know you were in the house Friday night. Uh, is that the biggest, most impressive win of the season or is it the Nets or is it their 73 point win over OKC or is there another one that I'm forgetting uh, this season? There's been a lot of them. Well, and it's a good question, right? Because I, I think that they're, you know, the other one, you know, we have that we beat the Nets with Bain and Morant going off to, to beat Harden and Durant. And then the next game or the next Monday, we beat uh, um, the Suns with Booker and Paul with Morant and Bain. Listen, I don't know if it's the most exciting win of the season because at the end of the day, your excitement is going to be caused by your best players. It certainly is the most impressive. Um, you know, and I understand that the Suns may not necessarily have been playing all out because they, you know, they've already know their spot. They've already clinched, but you're talking about us without four of our starters, as well as, you know, two of our big guys off the bench, I believe at least Tyus Jones. Yeah. My point is, is that a lot of the individual players, the players you go to in games against a caliber of opponent, like the Suns, to be able to deliver wins, to be able to lead you to victory, they weren't available. But the reason why this team was able to win, Ben, they set the tone early. 17 more shots, 54 combined second chance points and uh, second and uh, points off turnovers to the to the Suns nine. The Grizzlies against the best team in the NBA made it clear early on the game was going to be dictated at their tone. It was going to be played at their style, and that's what wound up winning the game. Even though the sun shot above 50%, the Grizzlies shot less than um, 30% from three. Good ball movement, good havoc. At the end of the day, what we do best is activity on both ends of the court, and it wound up beating, beating the best team in the league without our best players. So maybe not most exciting. I certainly would call it most impressive. And before the game, I was joking around. Like I was uh, saying, would, would Dylan Brooks get 40 shot attempts or would he foul out first? And I was actually – Really impressed with how well he played. He did not get into foul trouble at all either. And we all know that he loves the tough matchups. He loves the the Devin Booker. He, he, you know, he's, that's what he feeds off of. But, 
you could tell at the beginning of the game, he's like, I'm going to be the best player on the court. And maybe Booker ended up with more points, but I think Brooks really did, like you've mentioned, set the tone. I mean, he brought the fire. And after Jenkins gets tossed, you come out of that timeout, he immediately gets teed up himself. But it's kind of like, we're not going to be pushed around. We're not going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to still battle. And I was really impressed with, uh, with Dylan in that game. I agree completely. And I think the thing that also stands out, Ben, is that, you know, when it comes to um, uh, Dylan in that game, you know, it, you know, obviously I know uh, a big, uh, big guy over at a Grizzly Bear Blues, his name is Parker Fleming. Shout out to Parker. Um, he made the astute observation that Dylan Brooks had 20 point, 20 shot attempts once again, while also having six assists. Well, the big thing is Dylan Brooks typically does have his biggest assist games on nights when he has 20 or more shot attempts. What that means to me is that when Dylan Brooks is frequently involved with the ball in his hands, he's going to do things to create points, whether it's him on his end or it's creating opportunities for his teammates. And so even though it may not seem that high usage makes the most sense, in this situation, it certainly did with Dylan Brooks. When he's being utilized heavily, he's going to not only try to find himself good opportunities, but his teammates as well. So let's bounce off that a little bit and go to another DB. You just wrote a piece for Grizzly Bear Blues. Desmond Bain is not a one-trick pony. If you haven't read it yet, I suggest you go and read it. It's really good stuff. And he's more like you were describing with Dylan Brooks with him being involved. And it's not just shot attempts. He stepped up his ball handling skills. He's able to create shots on his own. And he's not just shooting threes either. He's made the leap. And if he doesn't win most improved, I know Jaws also up for the most improved. He still should be top three vote getter in the most improved because when Jaws not out there and Jaron's struggling, Desmond Bain is their go-to guy. He's been that way uh, during Dylan's injury. It'll be interesting to see kind of uh, how that progresses during the playoffs. But even when Dylan's been back, he's kind of been the go-to guy. Absolutely, as, as he should be. And, and listen, the numbers do it. The, the, the whole point of writing that article, Ben, and thank you for your kind words, the whole point of writing that article is simply this. Desmond Bain is doing two things this year. Number one, he has proven himself to be the perfect complement to John Morant, which allows for this backcourt to be among the best in the NBA, which in the Western Conference is certainly a trend among the best teams in the conference. But the other thing that Desmond Bain does, whether it be his three-point shooting, whether it be his ball handling to work off the threat of his three-point shooting to drive on closeouts and guys really putting pressure on the three-point line to stop him, him getting around those guys to get high-percentage shots, or it's his playmaking, four-to-one assist ratio since the All-Star break, 63 63 assists to 16 turnovers. The whole point that I'm getting at, he's not only made it clear that he's the perfect complement to John Morant, but he's consistently helping the Grizzlies, either through his playmaking or his shooting, find the best shot with each possession. That's the whole goal. Can the Grizzlies consistently find the best shot option each offensive possession? What's going to become a trait that's going to become more valuable in the playoffs that's what he's doing in multiple ways and makes him more resourceful as an offensive player. And even if one part of that offensive um, approach is taken away, he's able to find value in others to go along with his defense. That's the whole thing that stands out to me about um, Desmond Bain and why he certainly is not just a shooting specialist. He's an overall offensive force. Yeah. And we've seen throughout the season, I mean, not throughout the season, but we've seen at times where he has gone into three or four game slumps where he just can't find a shot and he's still been on the court and he's been a valuable part of that offense. Grizzlies are still winning with him, even though he wasn't making a shot because he's able to get other people involved 
and other teams still have to view him as a threat because you never know when it's going to click. And when it does click, you know, it, it's, it's on. I mean, he, he, he's a straight shooter at times as well. Not as much as DeAnthony Melton, but you know, when, when it's, when it's going in for Desmond Bain, the bucket looks like an ocean. So, and when he's like that, he's going to let you know about it as well. That's the best part about it. Oh yeah. Oh, no, no, no doubt about it. We've talked about Dylan Brooks. We've talked about Desmond Bain. All these guys are young along with John Morant, Jaron Jackson, pretty much the whole team, you know, and we've seen this whole, they play well together, but we've also seen the, we don't really care about anybody else's opinion and we're going to go out there and it's super confident and I love seeing it, but it's also the regular season. Do you think the youth may be a crutch sort of when it comes to playoff time? Or do you think they're just going to go in with the same mentality and same attitude and just see what happens? So in theory, in general, sure. You know, the, the, the Grizzlies, you know, youth, it may not be there as much um, as, you know, that experience may not be there as much as other teams. Right. So let's let's break that down a little bit further. The thing is, is that you're right. The Grizzlies may not have as much experience. They do have a bit of playoff experience. Steven Adams, Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, what have you. Uh, Well, I guess Tyus's only experience was last year. But my point is this, is that in a general sense, the Grizzlies may not have as much experience as other teams because they're one of the youngest teams of the league. But the big key to understand also, the Grizzlies have plenty of experience winning basketball games the way that they do at an elite level. And they also have plenty of experience this year of being able to dictate, set the tone early in basketball games frequently to where it's going to be played to their style. And that's why they're able to beat other teams who maybe on paper are more talented. So I know that's kind of maybe a flawed answer. They have a wealth of experience in their own way of doing things, even though their own way of doing things may not necessarily correlate with winning a lot in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, they're being the best versions of themselves. Now, where that general sense of a lack of experience comes in, Ben, what happens if another team stops the Grizzlies from being able to win games at their pace, on the hustle, in the paint, so on and so forth? They make the Grizzlies have to play. They make the Grizzlies have to shoot from distance. They The other team handles the basketball good, doesn't commit turnovers. If those things happen, then will the Grizzlies be able to adjust their philosophy to win a playoff series? That remains to be seen. That's where the general sense of a lack of experience may come in. But I do think that it's not cliche and it's not a cop-out answer to say the Grizzlies have plenty of experience not only playing their style of basketball, but forcing other teams, no matter how talented they are, to play their style of basketball. And that's why I think they can still win, even if they may not shoot the best or defend the best consistently. This is not a knock on Phoenix at all, but Dallas seems like the team that's given them the most trouble so far this year. But while trading Kristaps Porzingis made them better in the long run, I think it actually pulled them back closer to equal with the Grizzlies when it comes to matchups because he was always giving the Grizzlies trouble down low. But are, is Dallas still the best team, the team that's best equipped to do what you just said to the Grizzlies, or is it Phoenix? It's Phoenix. At the end of the day, it's Phoenix. And the reason why that is, is just because the quality of their depth is certainly there. They've got more options that you can consistently rely on to get it done down the stretch. You know, you you don't have a Chris Paul type player in Dallas, um, you know, to support 
um, Luca like you do Chris Paul himself and Devin Booker. I, I'll go with talent all day long. Now, stylistically, yes, Dallas is very good against the Grizzlies. They really limited the Grizzlies' ability to shoot the three, though the Grizzlies were able to find success doing the stuff that they normally did. did. So I would say that yeah, at the end of the day, the two teams that could really prevent or thwart the Grizzlies, you know, formula to success, it's still Phoenix and Golden State. I certainly would think that you might put Dallas up there as well, but I don't think that Dallas has the overall talent that a Golden State or a Phoenix would. I feel a lot more confident going into a series against Dallas than I would the other two teams. So I would still say it's Phoenix and, and Golden State. And again, I know that that may be kind of a you know easy chalk answer, but it's the reason why they're where they are. They play great defense along with great offense, and I think they're just naturally more talented than the Mavericks roster. No, I, I don't disagree with you. It's just the Dallas games, they're they're slow. They're boring. They get in the mud. It's kind of, you know, it's what the grit and grind Grizzlies did to the league when, when they were peaking. And that's why I was asking about that. So let's stick with a little bit more of the playoff talk. This time next week, we will have a better idea of who the Grizzlies will be playing in the first round. We won't know exactly because the Grizzlies are set. They're in the, they're in the two spot. So they're going to be playing the winner of the 7-8 matchup, which could be Minnesota, the Clippers, or even Utah, because they've been sliding down a little bit. They're, they're not finishing strong. Of those three teams, can you, go, can you rank them in order on who do you like to see, like most like to see against the least like to see? Yeah, uh, give me the Clippers without Kawhi, which will, which will remain <laughs> to be seen. They give me Minnesota and give me Utah. Listen, at the end of the day, I know Utah has struggled. I know that Utah ha has definitely fallen off. And I know that the Grizzlies would likely be the favorites going into a series against Utah. But if Utah has all their weapons available, though they don't have Joe Ingles this year, if they have all their weapons available, I still think that over a seven-game series, they are a very tough matchup for the Grizzlies. The one thing that we do know against the Clippers are a few things. Number one, the Grizzlies can do what they do best, offensive rebounding things such as that, they will have an easier time doing those against the Clippers than they would the other two teams. Jaron Jackson Jr. in four games this year, 22 points, eight rebounds, three blocks, and I believe two and a half threes per game against the Clippers. So our biggest X factor on offense would be a huge, huge addition in that Clipper series. And just to be honest with you, the Grizzlies implementing a strategy where you let Paul George cook but you don't let anybody else beat you, it's going to be easier to implement that, I think, against the Clippers than it would be against the the uh, Jazz or the Minnesota Timberwolves. So all in all, I think Ty Lue may be the biggest challenge with how good of a coach he is. But overall, I think style of play as well as overall talent, I think the Clippers without Kawhi are the Grizzlies' top option in terms of who they would want to face in a playoff series. Would Utah be able to push the Grizzlies to seven games or even – out of the playoffs, do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. At the end of the day, this isn't that much different of a roster that that absolutely, you know, at times really, really, you know, outclassed the Grizzlies in the playoffs in 2021. And I don't mean that to be negative towards the Grizzlies. It's just, you know, there was a world of difference between those two teams. That team can still show up at times. And if it does, it's a team that has the overall methodical but efficient approach to be able to withstand whatever the Grizzlies do, still force the Grizzlies into mistakes and find their own shots from three. I understand where people are coming from that, you know, Utah's time's over. They're lacking so on and so forth, especially if they have any injuries. It's going to be hard 
hard for them to be able to win in the playoffs, but I'm not going to sit here and necessarily count them out. I'm not expecting a finals run, but could I see them being the six that beats a three or the seven that beats a two? Sure. I absolutely think they still have that potential. Well, the Grizzlies play Utah tonight. Do the Grizzlies kind of maybe position themselves to not play Utah? Do you think that that's they're thinking about that in their head or are they thinking we're just going to go out and play our best basketball and if we win, we win because we can beat anybody? Yeah, they're, they're just going to go out and play their best basketball. You may see them sit, and I know at the time of, of this uh, um, podcast, I'll check and see, they may sit a few of the starters that played on Saturday night but or excuse me, Friday night, but at the end of the day, you kind of have a few reasons to go out and do it. Number one, you don't want to give your starters too long of a time frame in terms of them, you know, staying, you know, um, you know, staying rested and things such as that. You want to take every opportunity to still keep things going as much as they possibly can, but also you have every reason to want to sit here and play Utah and beat them because now with the Lakers pick, let's just be honest, out of the picture, the Grizzlies have every opportunity to make this Utah pick as good as possible. So why not sit here and beat them if you have the opportunity and allow for yourself to be able to improve a pick that you own? So there's a couple of different reasons. I think it just makes the most logical sense. You've had your starters be able to sit out for, what, five days in a row now? Let them get back. Let them play, have a trial run. Maybe do the same against New Orleans on Saturday, and that gives you two good opportunities to really have them playing well together going into the playoffs. In your opinion, should John Morant play before the playoffs start? Uh, sure. You know, I would probably give him, you know, maybe 15 to 20 minutes in one of the games, uh, you know, either against New Orleans or Boston to finish the season. But yeah, I'd let him get a little bit of run. The reason why is just because you're going to allow for him to be able to get that adrenaline going, get, you know, get that form going. You know, even after that, you're then going to sit there and have what two or two, at least three or four days where he's not going to play again as you work your way through the play-in tournament. So basically, yeah, if John Moran's healthy, test out the knee, make sure that he's responding well to it, you know, get the adrenaline going in, in him a bit. I definitely would let him play. I think he'll be fine either way, but I certainly would give him the opportunity to play um, if he's ready to go this, this weekend. Does it worry you at all that the starters, the Grizzlies are going to roll out for the playoffs have only played maybe a dozen or 15, 12 or 15 games together so far this season with the way the injuries have, have gone between Dylan Brooks and Ja and everything like that? Uh, potentially. And, but the thing that I'll say is this, is that it really is, this is a flawed way of looking at things. It's kind of frustrating because we didn't get to see what they truly could do together on a frequent basis during the regular season. So the true best version of this team, we've not really been able to see. However, because of the fact that there have been the injuries and so many people have stepped up like they did this past Friday night. Listen, if we see the combination of jaw and Dylan and Desmond and Jaron and Steven Adams, not working, all you do is just make adjustments with guys that you can trust will step up in big moments like they have all year. So if that specific lineup combination is not working, change it up, use rotations, go with your depth. That's a big thing for the Grizzlies. Frequently substitute to find the most effective lineup for good stretches that can help you in games, even if you may not be expected to. So yes, it certainly would have been great if they would have played more minutes together, but if they start to struggle, the Grizzlies can just trust their depth, make lineup adjustments, and go with what should be a more effective matchup um, as the game progresses. With the Grizzlies, they have four games remaining this uh, on the season. They got Utah, Denver, New Orleans, and Boston. All four teams are not settled in their spot. All four teams probably in the playoffs. I mean, New Orleans, there's, I'm pretty sure they're going to be in, but there's still a little bit left to be determined. With all four of those teams still 
position themselves for the playoffs. Do the Grizzlies owe anything to the league to play their guys or play out the string? Um, I mean, no. I, I mean, at this point in time, I, I don't really think that you would ever have something, you know, to owe to the league. I, you know, I, I understand your question, but the reason that I'm saying that I don't think you'd have something to uh, owe to the league is, you know, what, What's there to gain from it, I guess? Really, at the end of the day, in my opinion, the biggest thing that the Grizzlies can do is give their guys repetitions, but also allow for themselves to improve their draft picks. They're not going to say that as the reason why, but I think that that plays a bit into it. And Taylor Jenkins has already come out and said he doesn't care. He doesn't care about what happens around the league. All he cares about is the Grizzlies day by day by day getting better as a team and better individually. That's all he cares about. So I think they're only they're going to be so focused on doing what's best for them that what happens outside the rest of the league or why they should do this, why they should do that, you know, that, that's probably not that big of a deal. Though at the end of the day, that probably will influence things a little bit. So with those four games, the Grizzlies, they win two of them. They set a franchise record for most wins in a season. Are they going to break the franchise record? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I would say that they get that they get at least two wins because, you know, I know that Boston will have a reason to possibly play on Sunday, but New Orleans may not necessarily have a reason to play on Saturday. You know, we'll see. But yeah, I think that they'll get those two wins. It's hard to bet against the depth right now. And right. especially with the fact that they have a chance to set a new franchise record, to leave any shadow of a doubt that they're not the best team in franchise history, let them. They've earned the right to be able to have that type of run as long as you're not sitting here and putting players in position to where they potentially could get further injured or fail. But yes, certainly. I, I would put good money on the fact they'll go two and two. And even more so, I would, if, if I'm the organization, I would be perfectly fine with the guys wanting to do that because they certainly have earned that opportunity with how special they've been this year. We've seen Grizz, the Grizzlies bounce back after, after big losses before this season. Um, would a double digit or a blowout loss in these one of these last four games or even two of these last four games be a would would it hurt them in the confidence or would it just be like, oh, so be it. You know, we've already, you know, we've already got the two seed. We've already won the division. Doesn't really matter. No, I don't think that it would. And the reason why I say that is just because I, I just don't see how it would cause issue in terms of, you know, the Grizzlies, you know, suffering that type of loss. Because at the end of the day, they know that they've earned the ability to be able to use this time frame to work on things they really want to work on to get better, to allow for themselves to be the best that they can be in terms of, you know, improving their defense, what have you. The Grizzlies really aren't focused on winning games. They're focused on becoming as consistent as possible at playing their style of basketball right now, which obviously usually leads to winning games. So that's their big focus right now is simply winning games. And so with that in mind, I don't really think at all that they're too concerned about you know hey we may wind up with a blowout loss or something like that their focus is just getting the best position they can be for the playoffs and whatever happens with game results beyond that happens though i do think that in the back of their mind they do want to set the franchise record in wins yeah i mean the phoenix game kind of felt like hey if we get out to a fast start we'll roll with it if it doesn't you know so be it i mean they rested all their guys it wasn't like that they're trying to go out and set you know set something against the Suns, like kind of be like, all right, well, you know, we're better than you or whatever. You know, they, they weren't trying to do that. They weren't trying to send a message to Phoenix. They were just like, hey, we'll go out and play. And if, if, if we win, so be it. If not, no big deal. Our guys are getting a little rest. So we discussed the Suns and the Grizzlies and Monty Williams, Taylor Jenkins, probably the two front runners for coach of the year. 
Uh, do you think one of them reserve, deserves it over the other? Is there, is there another guy I'm missing? What, what, what are you thinking? Taylor Jenkins deserves to be coach of the year without a shadow of a doubt. And here's the thing. Here's, here's the reason why. Monty Williams should have won coach of the year last year. He deserved it. He did the best job of any coach in terms of exceeding expectations and turning an unexpected uh, team into a true contender. And they made the NBA finals. He absolutely should have won it last year. He's transferring from taking a team to the finals last year to have the best record in the league this year. Yeah. I understand that he didn't win it last year. But anybody who says that Monty Williams, this year specifically, has done a better job than Taylor Jenkins to this point, especially after what we saw Friday night, though that doesn't have as big of an impact, I, I don't. I think it's biased that he didn't win last year. I don't think that you can actually say Monty Williams has done a better job coaching. He's done outstanding. He should be a top three or four coach of the year candidate, but I don't think that Monty Williams has done a better job this year than Taylor Jenkins has. And I'm going to be really frustrated if he if basically he wins because of the fact that he's owed from last year when Tom Thibodeau won it. I understand that argument. And I understand that if you know somebody were to have suffered a big injury, I know Chris Paul did, but if somebody were to suffer a big injury or what have you, you know, if he would have done coaching jobs similar to what he did last year, hell yeah, he deserves it. Coach Taylor Jenkins has done a more valuable coaching job this year than Monty Williams. Not taking anything away from Monty, just wanting Coach Jenkins to get the credibility that he deserves. And the fact that they're number two, the number two team in the NBA, they're right up there right. With, with the Suns. They are one of the best teams in the NBA unexpectedly. If you're looking at actual coaching performance and actual value added from a coaching position this year, nobody tops Taylor Jenkins, in my opinion. And you also get to the point where like, okay, so you give it to Monty because he deserves from last year. Well, Taylor Jenkins deserves it this year. Is Taylor Jenkins going to get the coach of the year next year because he deserved it this year? What if the Grizzlies, you know, underachieve and only win, you know, 46 games? And I mean, you can't, you can't say, hey, well, we'll give it to Taylor Jenkins. You can't just kind of retroactively give out coach of the year because he deserved it the year before. I agree with you 100% that Taylor Jenkins does deserve coach of the year. One final thing before uh, before I let you go. Um, what's the Grizzlies' biggest weakness? The shooting. Um, the, the shooting still remains uh, their biggest weakness. Uh, basically, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's not only the three-point shooting, but the free-throw shooting as well. Listen, at the end of the day, in the playoffs, the Grizzlies are going to have to consistently get the possession edge. They need to have seven to ten more shots per game than their opponent. The other, otherwise, what they're going to need is they're going to need those shooting surges from a DeAnthony Melton. They're going to need at least two other guys to step up and support Desmond Bain by making multiple threes a game. You've got plenty of candidates. Dylan, Jaron, DeAnthony, Ja, all of Tyus, all of them can do it, but they're going to have to do it consistently in the playoffs to a level that they've not done it. So if the Grizzlies are not getting that 7, 10, 13, 14 shot possession edge over their opponents, the need for them to be able to shoot the three becomes even more important, defend the three as well. But the Grizzlies have struggled for much of this year, Ben, shooting the three and shooting free throws. It's that distant shooting. They're getting better at converting high percentage looks from three and from distance, but they've got to consistently be able to do it to have the balance they're going to need to win multiple playoff series in this year's playoffs. I've talked about how the Grizzlies, the way that they beat, beat opponents and build leads this year, 
has been comparable to like the Spurs did in the past where you're watching the game and, you know, it's going and next thing you know, you look up and the Grizzlies are up by like 12 or 14 points. You don't even realize that they just do it so systematically and it just it just feels like it's going in the flow of the game, but they're just getting offensive rebounds and getting more possessions as a, a as compared to like how the Warriors do it. You know when they are putting up 12, 15 points in a row because they're hitting three after three after three after three, and it's, it feels just like a gut punch, whereas the Grizzlies are just slowly wearing you down for the, the knockout. And that's kind of how the Spurs used to do it back in the day. Uh, Duncan and Parker and all those guys, that's just kind of how it felt. Agreed. Yeah, At the end of the day, like I say, two words, that a phrase that I think is going to be a huge, huge factor – or basically these are the two things that I look at. Are the Grizzlies getting 25%, 25 assists and 10 threes in the game? If they're doing that, I believe they're like 26-0 when they do that. Um, and they're like 47-4 and the last time they got 30-plus assists. If they have 25 or more assists and they have 10 or more threes, this Grizzlies team is very, very hard to beat, especially if it comes from a DeAnthony Melton or somebody else having a shooting surge off the bench late the first, early in the second to support the Grizzlies' effort in the first quarter where they've been so excellent. If the Grizzlies can consistently get that shooting surge from someone, that's going to play a big role in them winning the series, maybe even unexpectedly. Sean, you've been very generous with your time. You got anything you're working on right now? Anything we need to look out for with either Grizzly Bear Blues or uh, Locked On Grizz? Now, me and my partner, DeMichael Cole, we're going to have plenty to talk about. I'll be honest with you, we'll probably have a little bit to talk about that we've talked about here uh, because you're right. There's plenty of things to certainly discuss, but uh, obviously uh, just uh, ready for the playoffs, ready to you know talk some, uh, t- talk some more playoff basketball, really ready to dive into matchups, really ready to yeah. extract the, some ideas of how the heck the Grizzlies are going to be able to win a playoff series, which I think they can do multiple times this playoffs, but really looking forward to breaking down how they're going to be able to do it. And hey, by the way, Ben, it's always an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, you've been more, like I said, you've been more than generous with your time. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, we can talk uh, in person in one of these Grizzly playoff games. Oh, there, we there will be hugs. There, there, <laughs> there, there will be hugs. Thank I'll you, be, Ben. I'll, I'll be ready for it. All right, that was Sean Coleman, locked on Grizz Grizzly Bear Blues, and you can follow him at Stats S A C on Twitter. And that's it for this week's edition of the 3ND Podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can catch all of the Grizzly Bear Blues podcasts anywhere where you can listen to podcasts, starting five, core four, Longview with Parker Fleming, and GBB Live with Joe Mullinax. Until next week, when we're talking playoffs, I'm Ben Hogan. Thanks for listening, and go Grizz. Go Grizz.